think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 286 of Low Limit Football on this 14th of June, 2020. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Bayern Munich take a late winner all the way to potentially sealing up their Bundesliga title. The Coppa Italia final is set. Do we have a Derby d'Italia? Do we have a Derby della Madonnina? Or do we have none of the above? We're going to let you know. Messi returns to the pitch with a goal and two assists in a victory over Mayor. Yorka starting to lead the way for La Liga as they return to this weekend. And the Premier League and Serie A are both up next this week to return. We're going to discuss all of that and much more with SI's Luis Miguel Echegaray, who will be joining us in just a few minutes. But let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Joe, but I'm, I'm kind of frustrated. Not frustrated, but I, I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't say happy birthday to... An important person today. You know, I I, I totally just uh, you know out of my brain, and and I was I was gonna I was gonna hit it, and then I, all of a sudden you hit hit it, and I'm like, oh my god, I, you know, it just it's one of those things. It's like boof, you know, it, you know how something's in your mind and then out, and yeah. it was in, and then it was out. It was in when I woke up this morning, and then it was out when I hit the record button. So, um, so I was remiss, and I would like to say happy birthday to Luis Miguel Echegaray, who joined us a little earlier. Um, you know. Before heading out to celebrate his birthday, uh, we're glad he's well, safe, and he gave us so much time. So, uh, again, great, great interview coming up uh, in just a couple minutes. So, um, Rob, let, let's get into it, right? Because we have a lot to cover now that we actually have, um, you know, leaks starting. It's amazing. So mm -hmm. let's let's talk about uh, the trivia question first and foremost because I wanted to give you somebody uh, who is associated with both Italy and England, which both start up this week. So. The player that I'm giving you uh, is a, a player and a coach. He's retired, and he has played for six teams in Italy and England. He's also managed two of the teams he played for. That's clue number one. Okay. Okay. 
So we'll we'll give you a second clue in just a minute. Let's let's jump right into it, man, with opening thoughts. And opening thoughts is actually going to come back across the pond here to MLS. MLS announces a 2016 tournament that's going to happen in Orlando uh, over the next uh, few weeks. It's I believe it's going to kick off sometime in early July. And, uh, and it's basically going to hold, uh, I, if I remember correctly, a CONCACAF Champions League position. Uh, it was set up uh, in group, uh, there's a group stage, there was, I believe, seven groups that were created. Uh, and this will start July 8th. The group stages are all going to get played out. And this is going to be done at Wide World of Sports in uh, Orlando, Florida. July 25th to the 28th is going to give you the round of 16. July 30th and August 1st, the quarterfinals. August 5th and 6th, the semifinals. And August 11th will be the final. There is a tournament bracket. You can find all this information at MLS.com. And, uh, and the group stages currently, Rob, I'm going to give them to you real quick. That's broken into Eastern and Western Conferences. Group B, Seattle Sounders, FC Dallas, Vancouver Whitecaps, and San Jose Earthquakes. Group D, Real Salt Lake, Sporting KC, Colorado Rapids, Minnesota United. And Group F is LAFC, LA Galaxy, Houston Dynamo, and Portland Timbers. That is a nasty group. Um, and I'm excited to see how Tab Ramos does with the Houston Dynamo. On the other side, Rob, we have the Eastern Conference, which is Group A, Orlando City, Inter-Miami, NYCFC, Philadelphia Union, Chicago Fire, and Nashville SC. Uh, Group C is Toronto FC, New England Revolution, Montreal Impact, and DC United. And Group E, Atlanta United, FC Cincinnati, New York Red Bull, and Columbus Crew. Uh, Obviously, then then we'll break down into uh, round of 16s as everyone uh, escapes those groups. What are your thoughts, Rob, of this kind of radical uh, tournament structure to take place uh, in, in place of much of the MLS season. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all um, takes shape. I think obviously what really helped MLS in a way is the fact that, you know, their season, I think they had like one or two games um, before the two games, sorry, they only had two games uh, before the start of the um, the whole pandemic because of COVID-19 that they were they basically had a lot of things uh, in their control. Now, having said that, I think it will be interesting to see how these teams and, you know, for all the bad things that perhaps MLS has with the the overusage of so many teams, I think it will be interesting to see how this all fares out. I mean. It does seem very significant that the winner of this will qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, you know, and it's kind of, it's straightforward. It's like a World Cup type of tournament. You know, you know, you have your teams in, in their group stage. You know, then you see who qualifies to the knockout stage, quarterfinals, semifinals, um, final, and everything else. So, yeah, it's. I think it'll be interesting to see. I think it will be definitely, I think the big factor, of course, will be how the Florida Heat gets to these type of players because you know, Joe, and we both know actually how hot yeah. it can be in, in Orlando during this time of the year. But I think what's good is that, you know, the kickoff times are either relatively early or relatively late, 9 a.m., 8 p.m., and 10.30 p.m. So, yeah, it, I, I think it will... I think it could be successful. I, th- I think it'll be interesting yeah. to see how this will also come about with the playoffs and how the setup will end up being. Um, I don't believe there is anything um, leading to that as, as well, if I'm not mistaken. Like, there's no format of like the winner of this being guaranteed a playoff spot or, or something along those lines. So, yeah, it, it'll be fun to see. It's a, it's a good way to, you know, obviously, you know, we see sports back here in the United States. We saw that. We saw the NWSL also coming back. We're gonna hopefully see the NBA as well. So. 
Mm. Yeah, little by little, we're, we're seeing something. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited, you would say, to see what happens in this. And, you know, hopefully it becomes successful. Yeah. Uh, you know, just I'm going to read quick from MLS.com, uh, MLSsoccer.com. And uh, the format, 26 teams drawn into six groups. The top two finishers in each group, along with the four best third-place teams, will move to the knockout stages. Um, and the teams will be playing for regular season points in the group stages, too, by the way. This is according to MLS. So, so these points that these teams are going to earn during the, um, during the tournament, well, you know, three points for victory, one point for a draw, will actually apply to the table when uh when they come back so there's still other options to to get into the playoffs and, and you, you're still going to see that type of stuff just probably a little later in the year uh provided everything goes well with with the country's handling of COVID-19 of course um so they'll be playing for regular season points and then there's a CONCACAF Champions League berth on the line as well so uh it is it is certainly an interesting uh, idea a, a way to get things back up and running without having to to worry about all the travel that would be required of these teams traveling across the country i mean you know when we talk about leagues like italy or spain the the size of the country is certainly not as big as the united states so you know traveling becomes an issue for these teams and playing behind closed doors and in, in stadiums there's not a lot of revenue coming in so i think this is a way to kind of you know shorten up the losses and at the same time still provide a meaningful product and fulfill tv contract deals so they have an opportunity to you know unfortunately I, i'm looking at the money aspect of it but the money aspect of it also comes rob with a bit of safety for the players right the the constant movement of players in and out of cities over and over to try and to cram in these these matches even though they're behind closed doors you're still having a lot of contact so i think that doing it at uh, one location one central location uh, limits the exposure okay you're really exposed just to the players and, and and that's about it but at the same time like you said even though the start times are 9 a.m and, and 8 p.m and 10 p.m given the um the heat of the florida summer and the humidity of the florida summer and the and the, the afternoon thunder showers that always come with it it's uh it's certainly going to take its toll on the players health and and something that we would need to keep an eye out for because as we know many of these leagues whether we're talking about mls we're talking about europe they're trying to get all of these matches in um so that they can start 2021 on time and i think you're going to see you know an ex a little extra wear and tear on a lot of these players and, and it's gonna be interesting to see how well they handle the stress and the heat because in florida rob it's always hot, you know, in the summer. It's always muggy. It's not, you know, it's nicer at 10 p.m. at night than it is at th uh, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, but it's still hot, hot and muggy. So it's going to be interesting to see how they manage that, uh, their health and, and their safety, not only from the from the virus, but also from the um, the heat and humidity that that, that can toll on us. So um, interesting to see. Again, that starts up July 8th, uh, you know, and we'll, uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on that tournament as it progresses on. So... Rob, let's table uh, opening thoughts now, and let's head to our interview with Luis Miguel, uh, who was nice enough to join us and, and, and give us a ton of time. And we were able to talk about everything from La Liga to Serie A to the Premier League, his beloved Aston Villa, and I even got my chance to get a little Christian Cueva in, which everyone knows I love. Before I go to that, Rob, let me give you the second um, clue. Okay, you ready? Um, and, and again, previously, this particular player and manager... Uh, played for six teams in Italy and England. He also managed two of the teams he played for. The only league title this player has ever won was with Napoli in 1989 and 1990, but he never managed Napoli. Okay, it's not one of the two teams that he managed. So just want to let you know, he's uh, played for six teams. He's also managed two of the teams he played for. 
He's played in England and Italy. He's managed in England and Italy. And the only league title he's won as a player was with Napoli in 1989-1990. Okay? So, without further ado, the Luis Miguel Echegaray interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from SI, Luis Miguel Echegaray. Luis Miguel, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. I want to open with a quick question about La Liga as they've kicked off or they've returned from this hiatus. We look at what happened in Germany, the first league really to come back, and parts of it were sloppy, parts of it were pretty good, and the teams that really ramped up their quality of play tend to be more su- uh, successful, such as Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. What did you see so far in La Liga? Did they return as sloppy as the Bundesliga did? Did they return a little cleaner? Um, and what were your thoughts on so far on La Liga? Hey, guys, good to be back. Um... I'm glad that all of you are safe. Thank you uh, for having me back on. Um, listen, like, to be honest with you, I think that to answer that question, you always have to remember, the, to me at least anyway, when you think about the balance of the overall division in La Liga, all the way from the bottom to the top, I think that it's fair to say that it's probably the most technically advanced league in Europe. Um, I mean, obviously, you can talk about the Bundesliga and about the growth and development that, that they've had, uh, both technically and strategically, from player development to coaching. But La Liga overall, for so long, has been just such a wonderful league to watch in terms of technical ability. That's why it's such a tight race, right? That's why, you know, when you look at um, Athletic Bilbao, who's in 10th place as we speak, is just as even in terms of separating itself from relegation as it is from getting a Champions League spot. So when you take away Barcelona and Real Madrid, of course, um, it's a real balanced, fair uh, sort of division. Now, to answer your question, you know, it's very early and you can't just take one, you know, match day to fully analyze exactly how they came back. But, you know, you saw a little bit of rust, but all in all, I think I, I think you pretty much saw what you would expect. I mean, obviously, you know, with the Mallorca loss to Barcelona, you could see that, you know, Mallorca is definitely a relegation type of team. Barcelona, I thought, uh, looked really good. Um, I think that the break did them well. Obviously, Luis Suarez coming back from injury, you know, helped them out. But overall, they looked well. And, and in other teams, you know, I mean, there was obviously the surprise Getafe result. But Getafe has never been like, you know, a, a, a pretty team to look at, right? It's, it's never been the beautiful team to look in the eyes of the beholder. So, But I think overall, I think they did okay. I think it's it's what you would expect with a lot of development coming forward. And I think as more matches come in, because obviously with the amount of fixtures that they have to play, which is basically two games every seven days, at least, um, you know, with 11 matches to play for the remaining of the season, you're going to see that development further improve. And I think what's very important in such a race like this is how well, I guess, the depth is made, not just to a Barcelona, but obviously as we speak, you know, we have to see what Real Madrid do today against Ibar. But, you know, I, I think heading into what we saw, you know, we're in for really a tirade with Real. I mean, you know, just looking at it real quick and looking at the remaining schedules that both teams have, I mean, you would say that maybe Real Madrid has much more of the lesser, lighter schedule, if I have to say. Um and I think their advantage as well is the debt that they have. So, you know, are, are you ready to say that maybe Real Madrid is one of the is the favorite to to win La Liga in your opinion? 
I'm not going to say that they're the favorite because you have to just look at the facts. Barcelona is still leading that table. Uh, but you make a very good point, which is something that I said uh, this week, which is the depth. And the reason why the depth in the squad right now is so important is because of the five-sub rule, right? Now that you have five subs available, you're able to rotate your team a little bit easier. And when you look at Barcelona, which is obviously a tremendous squad, nobody can deny that, but I don't think they're as deep as Real Madrid. So when you, you, know, when you combine to the other point that you brought up, which is the, you know, the actual fixture list, then you could say, well, I mean, listen, as we speak, Barcelona leads by 61 points. Real Madrid, as you mentioned, has that game in hand against Ibar. They win that. They're back on the two-point situation. But as you mentioned, their schedule is not awful. I mean, you know, uh, Mallorca, Espanol, obviously a tough game, Getafe, I guess. But then there's other teams that they have to play, you know, in the course of this, which is very doable. Barcelona still has to, um, when you look at their schedule, Barcelona still has to go to Sevilla. I don't think Athletic Bilbao is an easy game. They still have to play Atletico Madrid. So, you know, there could be a situation where, you know, the roles are reversed. But as we speak, Barcelona is the leader. Real Madrid still has to catch up. But to answer the final point, it's all down to depth, like you mentioned. And when you're in such a steamy race, especially when you have to, you know, sort of overload the fixture list. And let's not forget, guys, they're now playing in the middle of a Spanish summer. That, that never happens, right? So it's hot and, you know, players are more vulnerable in terms of injuries. So it's going to be tough. So it's all about staying fit, to be quite honest. And I wouldn't call Real Madrid the favorite, but I would not be shocked in the slightest if, you know, in about three weeks, two and a half weeks, you see those two teams switch. I think it really will be a test because, as you had mentioned beforehand, all these games being played at the same time, not at the same time, sorry, just being played uh, so close within one each, uh, one each other that, um, you know, you could see some of those cracks slip up where, you know, teams are, you know, they're, they're tired or, you know, as you mentioned, maybe the heat right. gets to them. So there are so many factors. And, and Joe actually just put up a stat here that I think is also very important that um, maybe it's not as significant but it's good to mention you know the average squad age of Barcelona is 25.8 and then Real Madrid's at 25.2 so you know even though they're still in that same uh, realm I think you still have to give the advantage to Real Madrid because of the debt that they have and how they can use it um, in in such vital games that are necessary within the season so it'll it'll be definitely interesting to see that's for sure a very good point and i'll just add one final thing to this i mean not to take anything away from barcelona of course but real madrid has now had a longer time to get used to without its dominant star right i'm talking about cristiano ronaldo leaving for juventus so they've already had to get used to um you know dealing with how to rotate a, a squad barcelona still relies on its spine still relies on Piqué, Sergio Busquets, Messi, of course, right? If any of those or two out of those three get injured or out, especially Messi, I mean, you know, then we have a big problem for Barcelona. So as long as they stay healthy, I think it should be okay. But the five-sub situation is going to be a major advantage for Real Madrid. 
100%. Now, heading into, obviously, the start of the Premier League, and, you know, I think it will be a very, very tight race. I don't know who's going to win. I mean, Joe, it's it's tough to see who's going to win at the top, don't you think? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say yeah. right now that most of the EPL fans are hoping the government wins by shutting the league back down and not, and not awarding a champion. But, yeah, we, you know, what's funny is that we – Rob, you know, we're so good on this show. We we declared a winner back in December. So before right. coronavirus even hit, we already knew who was going to win this thing. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's the formality of everything after Liverpool. I think that is going to be so intriguing when the Premier League comes back. Hence why I wanted to go, obviously, to your beloved Aston Villa, Luis Miguel, because, you know, even though they are in a t- bit of a, a tight spot right now, you know, 19th place, uh, two points off the relegations, uh, the final relegation spot. I think it really is going to be interesting to see that kind of race, if you would have to say. I mean, yeah, we're going to see, obviously, what's going to happen with the top five, with the likes of Chelsea, Manchester United, Wolves, Sheffield, Leicester, those type of teams. But for Aston Villa's point, and, you know, it'd be good to, to mention this to you, um, you know, they have a really tough schedule. You know, they have to play that, the likes of a Sheffield, Chelsea Wolves, Newcastle, Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal. I mean, you know, what are your what is your feeling heading into the last few games of the season? And are you confident that Villa could escape the um, the drop? Of course, you were going to ask me about Villa. Of course, of course, you, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, listen, the Premier League. Obviously, I'm I'm biased, right? Uh, so I, I'm that's the league that I'm most excited about. Um, obviously, there's nothing. Let's begin at the very top. As you guys mentioned, there's not much uh, shocking relevations. All that Liverpool needs is two wins. Or if Manchester City loses to Arsenal in their returning game, they just need that win, which would coincidentally end at Goodison Park, and they might win at, in the Merseyside Derby. Wouldn't Everton fans love that? So, mm-hmm. you know, the title's pretty much done and dusted, you, you know, and deservedly so, right? Uh, Liverpool has just been a, a machine. A tremendous train that's just been almost unstoppable. Now, as you mentioned, the relegation battle is obviously the one to watch out for in this situation. Um, it's fair to mention, uh, based on reports and well, actual you know announcements by the Premier League, where you know from the latest coronavirus uh, test results, one Norwich player came out positive, so he has to remain in quarantine for seven days. And another person that's, I think, not a player from another team. So, you know, that's the latest news from that situation. In terms of the relationship, we have Norwich City, Aston Villa and Bournemouth. In terms of Villa, yes, Villa has a tough schedule. There's no doubt about it. I mean, like you mentioned, Sheffield United, Chelsea, you know, Wolves, Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal. I mean, any. I mean, to be honest with you, with the fact that there's all the like this amount of the games remaining after a huge break due to a pandemic, every single game is tough. Uh, the advantage that Aston Villa has, I think, are, are a few. One is that Villa has that game in hand. So you know, if they can take care of business with that game in hand, then you know that hopefully should ease a few things. To start, obviously, Sheffield United is not an easy game to return to now neither is Chelsea to follow after that but you know I think that they can take solace into a few things one the squad is now healthy John McGinn is back to 100% John McGinn is probably aside from Jack Grealish I would make make him the most important offensive player um, just an absolute train in the midfield he's back 
you know, and, you know, Dean Smith talking uh, earlier this week mentioned about the fact that he's very happy where the team is. Everybody's 100 percent. They had two warm ups. One was against West Brom, um, you know, the local rival who's in the championship. And the other one was against Leicester City. And they looked really good, uh, according to internal reports. Jack Grealish looks ready. He looks hungry. Tyrone Mings as well. So the team is looking, uh, you know, very, very, very healthy and fit. And Dean Smith's main point is this. Listen, obviously, Aston Villa's 19th. They need to get out of there. But they see this not really as the final end of the season, but almost as a FA Cup final every single match day. And they just have to take care of business and they feel really good about the squad. Having said all that, I'm sure every team will tell you the same thing. So you still have, you know. But when you look at this relegation battle, it's absolutely insane. I mean, you can go all the way up to Brighton in 15. You know, they have 29 points. West Ham have 27 and 16, as well as Watford and Bournemouth. Villa just has to win one home game, that extra game, and hopefully maintain that status. Now, I'm confident, but I'm realistic. It's to, and again, it's kind of the same answer to the Real Madrid situation. It really, really um, depends a lot on the health and well-being of every player. Obviously, the most important thing is health and safety. But in terms of action, if you have one or two key players who suddenly find themselves injured or whatever, then it becomes a big problem. But, you know, when you talk about other teams, they're in the same situation. So, uh, And the last point that I'll make is that Dean Smith said something really interesting, which is like, something that he's like echoing to his players day in and day out is, listen, there's no such thing as form. So when we talk about Sheffield United and how looked they good before COVID-19, that you can scrap that out the window. Because in, in essence, this is a brand new campaign. This is like the beginning of the season. And that can be taken to a positive or a negative, depending how a team reacts. Now, Luis Miguel, I want to jump in here real quick because obviously you'd mentioned that uh, they have their match, the makeup match against uh, Sheffield United coming up at home uh, this week. What does mission accomplished look like in that match for, for Villa? Is it is it a draw? Do they have to win that match? Um, you know, like you said, they're, they're only they're only uh, two points from safety at the moment. Um, is one point good enough in that match or do they really need to, to beat uh, Sheffield, the team that is really good defensively? Yeah, no, good question, uh, Joe. Honestly, it's 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 all about um, perspective. I mean, you know, you just got to look at the June fixture. Sheffield United, Chelsea, Newcastle, Wolves. If Villa ties Sheffield United, then I really believe that, you know, we need two wins um, out of Chelsea, Newcastle, Wolves. So, you know, the, what can't happen is to even it up. You can't have two losses and then even two wins, to be honest. I want to get, I want to get at least you know, three positive results. Um, but I mean by that is no losses. So I think a draw would be a good one, uh, a good starting point. Can't take anything away uh, from what Sheffield United has done. They're an amazing team. Um, so a draw would be good. I think a loss would be uh, alarm bells, uh, especially because then it becomes more of an emergency situation. But, you know, I would take a draw for sure. I think, to be honest with you, I expect a draw. And I'm not even... And then once you look after that, Chelsea, Newcastle, Wolves, if we can get, you know, another win and a draw, two wins out of that, it will be good. But then you look after that because July is tough. Liverpool, Manchester United, Crystal Palace, Everton, Arsenal finishing at West Ham United. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think a positive result will be both a good thing statistically and at the same time psychologically. So anything but a loss, Joe, is basically my answer to you. 
Now, heading into, obviously, the other big race that it's going to start this week, you know, we have to go to Italy. And, you know, we did see a preview of the two teams, um, well, I guess one team, that is fighting for that title. And that's Juventus, who, you know, despite the no-no draw, headed to the Coppa Italia final. But, you know, you still have to, I think we still have one final to decide over there um, before their game against uh, Napoli. And it's their direct rivals in Lazio. I mean, they, they still have to face each other. And uh, what separated by only one point, but um, yeah, I mean, this, this is the one. I mean, yeah, we, we kind of want to like obviously keep our eyes on what's going on in La Liga and whatnot, but you know, Syria in itself, even for what we see as a race for the um, the European spots as well, it's going to be a tight one in Italy, and you know that you and it's good that we're still going to have to see a Juventus Lazio. I think the game is on the middle of July, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a good one, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the title decider, right there. It's Juventus against Lazio. Juventus leads by one point, and you know, at the very beginning of the season, even before COVID nineteen struck, obviously the favourites was always going to be Juventus. Maybe um, I believe I remember way back, I said that if there was anybody to challenge them was Napoli. Boy, was I wrong on that one. Uh, the ship kind of went downhill. They're now six with 13, 39 points. But Inter Milan, you know, with Antonio Conte, there's an outside, outside chance. But really, I mean, nine points behind uh, might just be too much. The hopeful thing is just to remain and stay with the Champions League spot. So as you mentioned, really, it's all about Juventus against Lazio. That's it. That's it. Whoever wins that, you know, if as long as the positive results come in, you know, before that match day, then that, that's where the league stands. Um, I'm not going to be as brave as say that Lazio is going to win that, but I will tell you that obviously it all depends on their two main attacking forces, uh, especially with Immobile, just the type of player that he can, you know, be, is, and offer against somebody like Juventus will be a major thing, but you know, and then on the other side, obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, with the supporting cast of Douglas Costas and Dybala. But I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, when it's, when you play, I, I don't know the psychological emphasis, regardless whether you're a home or away, when you play with no fans. So I don't know. And in Serie A, more so than other leagues in Europe, you know, the importance of a hostile crowd, especially somewhere like Lazio, you know, could have been a major advantage. Now, I just have to remember myself. No, but see, they're, they're playing. So it's at Juventus. So it's at the Alliance Stadium. So to me, there's no major advantage there. I would just say this. Whoever wins that game wins the league. You know, and you bring up a good point about about the match being at the at, uh, Allianz in uh, in Turin. And you look at Juve's schedule to close out the season. And, and again, rapid succession because they have to make up 12 matches and, and finish it up by the end of July. Luckily for Juve, all their big matches except for one, the AC Milan match, are at home. They have uh, they have the Derby della Mole um, against Torino on the um, on the set. I'm sorry, on the fourth of July, that's going to be at home. They have Atalanta on the 11th of July, that's going to be at home. They have Lazio on the 20th of July, that's going to be at home. But the matches that come every four days, we talked about this a little bit, even when we talked about La Liga, is is the depth of squad. And I think where Juve are going to benefit by the schedule, even though they're not going to have the home crowd, is the fact that they have a massively deep uh, squad, especially in the midfield where Saudi likes to move the ball through. 
it's really going to benefit them. The back line, even though they talk about it's aging because of Chiellini and Bonucci, at the same time, you've got Delict. Uh, it looks like uh, Mary Demerol might be back in time for the end of the season. So they're going to have depth of, of defenders. They're also going to have depth of midfield. And I think that is going to be the key that's going to turn the table for Juve against Lazio, and I'm not saying they're going to run away with it, and I'm, I'm going to still stick to what you're saying, Luis Miguel, that that match against Lazio, the second-to-last match of the season, is going to be massive, uh, and it could be a title race or a title match if the if the teams still stay level, but I think right now, because of the way the schedule is constructed, it's the teams with depth, um, and, and really, when we look at Italy, the only team that really has true depth is Juve. Um, Inter, we've talked about, just past their 11 or 12 players, they don't have much. Um, Lazio just past their 11 or 12 players don't have a ton, but but the quality in the in that first 11 or 12 is is ridiculous. Um, I mean, do you, do you see it that way? Where yeah, it, it, it would, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's 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 a it, depth thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So, I mean, listen, it's not it's not quantum physics, right? But it's right. A, it's a good it's a good obvious simple point, and I think it's one worth mentioning over and over again. So mm. you're completely right. I mean, look, at, you know, when you can afford, right, mm. to have Cuadrado. Kadira, Rabio, De Siglio, Bernadeschi, you know, Rugani, who doesn't even, you know, even need to be on. You know, when you have that kind of squad and those kinds of players that can come off the bench, then, you know, and as you mentioned, other players coming back from injury, that's going to be a huge advantage. So, I mean, it's no surprise why the richest teams usually win the leagues. They're able to deepen their squad. And in this situation, again, because you can you know, expand your use of substitutions, then it's going to be a huge thing. No I mean, obviously, you still have the Cristiano Ronaldo, the Bala, Douglas Costa's front line. And then, you know, uh, as you mentioned, the lift is getting better. But when you have players like, you know, the ones I mentioned and are just on the bench ready to come on, that's a huge thing against a Lazio side who, even though are good, are not as deep. Exactly. What was your thoughts on the on the Coppa Italia, um, the semifinals? Obviously, you know you you'd mentioned uh, that Napoli would challenge Juve for the title. Well, they're going to challenge him for the Coppa Italia title on Wednesday. But what were your thoughts of the of the quality of play in Italy on the weekend? Did you you know kind of online with what you saw in Spain? Do you think it was a little more polished, a little less polished? For me, I thought it was a little less polished, um, and I feel like they had a little work to do. But again, rust is going to be everywhere. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that Serie A was the less polished out of all of them. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because, obviously, the nation itself was one of the first in the world if, and in Europe, the first one to really get fully, fully, um, you know, suffer, you know, the consequences of COVID-19. Hence, all the players needing to be out of action for a very long time. I don't know if there was also this sense of, um, you know, you're so ready and excited and willing to return to action that you almost forget about the simple things in terms of fluidity, rhythm, etc. I mean, look at the goals that happened, right? The, the Christian Eriksen, um, you know, when Ospina just completely let it go yeah. by him or, you know, Ron, even Ronaldo's penalty miss and then, you know, uh, the, the, the red card immediately followed from AC Milan's Retic. You know, so there's so many little isms that happen that, you, that are they're natural. It's going to happen. It's been such a break for them. Um, and again, I think once more games develop they'll, they'll get better but that in itself is an advantage to a team like Lazio where if they can look at the blueprint and say okay because the thing is Lazio is not a team that necessarily needs to focus so much on playing beautifully mm -hmm. they're a very well organized side 
and they, they do play some good stuff, but they're not necessarily focused so much on fluidity and rhythm. Sometimes Juventus tries that a little too much. And when you're playing in a season now where you're bound to see a lot of mistakes, playing ugly is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just about making sure that you're consistent. And I think that Lazio is going to look at what you just mentioned, the semifinals of Coppa Italia and other preview games, and use it as an advantage. So, But I do agree. I think out of all the leagues, Serie A was the one that probably looked a little rustier. Yeah. Now, before we let you go, I'd be remiss not to ask about my favorite Peruvian footballer. Um, and it's not Jefferson Farfan. It's not Paulo Guerrero. It, for me, it's Christian Cueva. Uh, he made the he made the move this year to Pachuca from um, from basically from Krasnodar. He was on loan at Santos, but made the move to Pachuca. Only got two matches in before everything got shut down. What did you think of the move away from Europe? Did you think that was the right move for him? Because he's still he's still young. I think he's twenty eight, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, he's twenty eight years old. So, is this is this the move that you wanted to see for him to come to Pachuca, or or should he have stayed in Europe? Uh, I mean, it's so tough. Before Pachuca, um, he was at Sao Paulo, and you know he was uh, struggling there too. Christian Cueva, we all know from an international perspective, just how talented he is. Mm-hmm. Just he is unbelievable, and obviously, as it happens a lot actually in South America, sometimes you get the best out of yourself when you play under the national team. And having Ricardo Gareca as your manager for the national setup, it's going to do wonders for you. Unfortunately, there's so much inconsistency off the pitch that it influences what happens to him on the pitch. And that's been a situation for Cristian Cueva for a, for a very, very long time. He's actually, the latest you know things that came out is like during, um, during some interviews on, on Instagram, he actually did mention that he wouldn't mind returning to Sao Paulo for a second chance. Um, but listen, I just think that Christian Cueva is a player that could benefit a lot from MLS. Mm. I, th- I think that, you know, somebody that could, I think a lo- what happens is a lot of South, South and Central American players come to MLS because they don't just see opportunity in terms of financial, which is obvious, but they see opportunity in terms of a team can be built around them. And not only that, and this is something that I talked to Pedro Gallese about, Peru's number one goalkeeper who now plays for Orlando. To him, it's like, listen, the problem is, it's like when you play in South America, it's great, but you, you, you don't have a life. You're completely influenced and affected by what happens to you, um, you know, whether it's, you know, commentary in the news or fans coming up to you. You're not able to fully focus on your soccer. You just can't. It's so difficult. So MLS is such an attractive place because it kind of removes you from that, right? It, yeah. does, it, it allows you to really just focus on, on playing. Even somebody as big as, you know, Latin players I'm talking about, you know, somebody like Joseph Martinez for Atlanta, he's able to just have a life. Mm-hmm. And that's the same, I think, for somebody like Christian Cueva. Imagine if he comes to a team in MLS and he's just able to really just fully focus on the most important thing, which is his game after his family, of course. And I think that's what he needs. So even though I think that Pachuca was a good move because obviously Liga MX is, is, is a better league than MLS, mm-hmm. it's a stronger league, I don't know if culturally speaking it's providing him with the things that he needs. Whereas I think that if he went to MLS, 
I think that he could once again restart his campaign. As you mentioned, he's still so young. So, you know, there's no... And, you know, the tremendous amount of Peruvian players that are coming to the league and stuff. Basically, this is my selling point for, for Cueva to come to MLS. <laughs> that, that's literally the only reason why I wanted to come to this show. I just wanted to promote that and say, Cristian, vente a los Estados Unidos. Because I'm telling, you, I'm telling you right now that he would do wonders. I mean, listen, I, I, we talk about players that are so good uh, having the ball at their feet. I don't think there's anybody in South America um, for, for a, you know, that he's in the top five in that regard. Yeah. I think he's just amazing. And unfortunately, his decision making and his work ethic, specifically with different teams, has not been the best. But I think that he should come to MLS and just and just flourish. I'll, I'll tell you a lot of the stuff that you said about being able to just focus on football and, and do your thing and, and not be distracted by the external stuff. It was a lot of the same things that Sebastian Jovinko said when he came from Juventus to Toronto FC. Um, the yeah, fact, man. The fact that he could walk down the street in Toronto with his family and not get harassed or anything like that there was a there was a lot of that that made mls so attractive to jovinko that it would kind of be the same thing for for cueva where he would come come in and you know and if we went to some place that was maybe didn't have a large peruvian population i mean obviously the peruvian folks will definitely recognize him but um maybe he went to a place that was a little more low-key for him i think you're right I, i think he would be able to focus mainly on his football and you'd see how talented he is um, at least what we've seen when he wears the Peruvian national team jersey, that's for sure. So, Listen, listen, I've talked to... You t- You can give me a name of a Latin American star that's playing in MLS or that's played in MLS in the last five years. I've talked to them. Yeah. Chicharito, Chicharito is the only one that I haven't, but I bet you that he would tell me the same thing. I've talked to everybody. Joseph Martinez, Miguel Almiron, all the Peruvian stars, of course, and they all tell me the same thing in one way or another. Coming to MLS, obviously, is great financially, but most importantly... It's good for my family and for me because I'm able to psychologically and mentally just be in a place that can help me not just develop and grow as a player, but as a person. Yeah. I can honestly just relax. I've talked to every single one and nobody can tell me otherwise because I've heard it straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> and, I bet, and, I, and I swear that Cueva would be that type of player that could benefit the same way. I think that Cavani, not having a contract renegotiated with PSG and leaving PSG, you know, um, is probably thinking the same thing right now. Uh, he's he's probably already got his uh, flight booked to Miami. Let's be honest. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Luis Miguel, thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us all this time. Really appreciate you having coming on, and just great, great stuff, man. Thank you. All the best of success, and, and stay safe. And uh, hopefully, we'll have you back soon. Thanks, and everybody. Happy thank- as well, and happy birthday. <laughs> and happy oh, birthday. Thank you. That's right. That's right. It was my twenty-first birthday. Thank you so much. <laughs> Listen. Um, Congrats on everything that you guys are doing. Keep it up. Um, I'm a big, big fan, and uh, thanks for having me again. Thanks, man. We appreciate that. Have a good one. Thank you. And special thanks again to Luis Miguel Echegaray for joining us on the show and and really being able to go all around the world with us uh, from from South America to North America to Europe. So we had a great, great time. Uh, let's look now because one thing we did mention is that La Liga did return this week. Um, and as, as at the time of this recording, we still have some matches going on. But the most impressive thing was Barcelona uh, really knocking off the rust early in a 4-0 victory. Again, it was over Mallorca. Um, who are the bottom dwellers or close to the bottom dwellers in the in the table. But Messi with a goal and two assists, uh, you know, the return of Luis Suarez getting some time in this match. Rob, what, are you, what were your thoughts of uh, of La Liga's return so far? Well, I think it's, I think what we had mentioned with Luis Miguel is that, you know, the quality that we've seen, you know, really hasn't been as, as diminished as we've seen in perhaps in other leagues. I think what we 
we saw um, even in the Seville derby in the first game, you know, even though it was a clear result for for Sevilla, you know, but the, the quality of both the teams made it very open. Mm. I think what we saw yesterday with, um, you know, obviously Barcelona being as dominant against the Mallorca side who are fighting the relegation spots, I think it shows that, you know, and, and hopefully that, you know, we're seeing, you know, we have yet to see a, a goalless draw yet in any of these games, you know. I think mm. um, I think we're, we are happy that we are seeing also a lot of um, results come about and, and hopefully that it, it will continue that way for the next the, for the next few games i think you know the fact that they're going to play uh games every day until i think next thursday if i'm not mistaken or probably more besides that but yeah i, I think just you know having that sort of consistency is that you know there's always something coming about mm-hmm. so yeah, I think it's 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 positive to say. I think going to Barcelona, it, it's it's clear that you know Messi definitely never took uh, a sort of loss of not talent, I would say, but form. You know, comes in one goal, two assists. Thanks for playing Mallorca. So it's been it's been decent, I would say, so far. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll I'll say that. I, I would agree too, and and you know we we even got a decent matchup in the. In the Seville Derby, that would that you know brought us back. If if you if you think about it, we we saw the two 0 victory for Sevilla over Betis, and and again, like you said, the quality is rusty. We expected that when Germany kicked off. We we've we've seen it follow through when um, Spain kicked off this weekend, and I, I, not for nothing, we're going to see it again. We're going to see it when England kicks off. We're going to see it when Italy kicks off. We kind of got a little taste of it in the Coppa Italia. That there's going to be rust there, and um, and it shouldn't take away from the overall enjoyment because football is back but uh, again it's like you said Messi didn't lose much of a step and you would expect somebody that is past the 30 year old line to maybe have a little you know a little more rust or take a little more time to knock that rust off and he really didn't seem like that Rob you know he seemed like he was he was messy um, mm-hmm. and, and, and Messi did messy things. And again, like you said, the, you know, the, the quality of the opponent, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't athletic, right? It wasn't defensive. It wasn't a hard nosed side. Mallorca is, is certainly not that team, but at the same time, it still takes time to kind of get your feet under you. But we saw Messi kind of turn that around very frequently. I want to ask you one more thing, Rob, all these matches are being played behind closed doors, right? How do you get a pitch invader when you're playing in an empty stadium? Uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know? I, I guess, I guess. We saw that happen in the Barca match uh, as well. It's Mallorca, it's Mallorca as well. I mean. True, true. Yeah, it's so, an, the, Maybe he was on something. That's all I can think of. Just just amazing, though, that he was able to get in and, and invade the pitch is something. Uh, it was a little bit of a spectacle for sure. So, mm-hmm. but, but again, they're back, and, and we're going to get midweek matches out of Spain. And, and again, like you said, these, these schedules are going to be crammed together hot and heavy and um if you were looking to be outside this is the year to invest in an outdoor tv because it's going to be nice to be outside and hanging out by the pool and you're going to get football on all day every day so it's going to be fantastic yeah um, for you yeah yeah it's true very true i you know but they're expensive those tvs um we saw the Copa italia rob i'm going to change gears a little bit and go to the Copa italia quick we saw juve with a nil nil draw that saw them through to the final and Inter played to a 1-1 draw against Napoli, uh, 2-1 on aggregate. Napoli moved through to the final. And it was great to, you know, Luis Miguel had mentioned uh, that, that he thought Napoli was going to challenge for the title. And they just kind of came up short. Uh, you know, again, you've got to remember way back at the beginning of the season it was Carlo Ancelotti that was coaching this team, not Gennaro Gattuso. And 
you know, it's, again, I kind of like the way Italy did this, where the other leagues kind of jumped in. And, you know, and again, depending on where they were in their competitions versus the FA Cup versus the Copa del Rey, the Copa del Rey is at the final stage. Um, the Bundesliga, the, po- the Pokal was still in the semifinal world like Italy was. But Italy used the Copa Italia to kind of get things ramped up and going. And uh, and I did like to see that. I think for them, um, for what happens there, it benefits the teams that got to play in the Coppa Italia, right? So so Milan, Inter, Napoli, Juve, I think gain a benefit because now they're going to get live action where all the other teams, the Lazios, the Atalantas, the Sassuolos, they their first action is going to be Serie A. It's going to be their first game back in th- over three months, and we know how hard Italy was hit. But in uh, these teams get a game under their belts, and I think that is... For me, that's a benefit for them, Rob. What are your thoughts on what you saw in the Coppa Italia this weekend, and uh, and and how that benefits maybe the teams? Um, I think it's it's a good way to to start off on the right foot. I think in comparison to what we saw in the likes of Germany, Spain, and even in England as well, that we don't see any domestic competitions occur. Um, you know, there isn't that kind of sense of urgency from the teams. I think what's important is out of the four teams that we got. You know, they're, they're, they're four big teams, Milan, Inter, Juventus, and Napoli. So, again, and, and I told you this as well, I mean, you want to be convincing in your big games. Um, I under, I kind of now understand why some people want to take it easy, um, you know, the, the nil-nil draw against Juventus. I personally thought they could have been much, much better, but, you know, as you said, you know, they're, they're, they weren't going for anything rather than just, you know, they, they could tolerate a, a draw. But I feel as if, though, with Juventus and their attacking force and, and the depth that they have, that they should be more convincing. Because I think mm-hmm. that's what what teams have to be. It doesn't matter if you're Juventus or any team in the world. I mean, you want to be convincing in all your games. You don't have to. And I completely understand that, especially if a result goes your way. But in the end, you you want to show that force so you don't lose that sense of, of urgency and, and, and demonstrate it, so on. So... Yeah, I think it's good for these Italian teams to be able to to be to find some sort of like getting their their feet wet again after a long time out. So, will it affect them heading into the Serie A season? Probably, but yeah, and yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good way for them to get on the right foot heading into the beginning of a long now will be a, a long season. Sure, and you know, just just to kind of go back to what we were talking about with Luis Miguel, um, you know, you look at the Juve AC Milan match. Uh, Sammy Kadira, Adrian Rabio, Federico Bernardeschi, and Juan Cuadrado. Those are all players that were brought off the bench. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so talk about depth it's, and, and quality of depth um, to get a, a match under their belts uh, for, for guys like that and, and to get everybody playing is, is amazing. Even just going back real quick to what we were talking about with La Liga, you and I talked about it this weekend that I thought – you know, when when Luis Suarez didn't start, I said he needs to get in there. He needs to get minutes. And he got, I think, I want to say like the last 10 or 15 minutes of the match, Rob, if, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, but but that was a massive thing to get game minutes, real live action minutes under a player's belt, especially in somebody like Luis Suarez, who was was off with injury for so long to get to be able to get those players ramped up and going um, is a massive uh, gain for a team, as, as you know, because it expands the roster. It allows them to be more flexible and, and allows a manager, um, especially a cerebral manager, to be able to manipulate the game uh, based on the players he has on the bench. So um, great performance out of the Copa Italia. Last thing I want to mention real quick, uh, Borussia Dortmund, Erling Holland. 
Um, you know, I, one of our favorite players for sure. But again, where you thought, uh, first of all, where you thought that uh, that Dusseldorf was almost, they'd almost won the match, Rob, right? It was, I think, the 90th minute they hit the, the post. And Dusseldorf was, was really playing well at that point. And here comes Erling Holland, brought on as a sub, and flicks home a, a ball with, a, with 30 seconds to go and wins the match for Dortmund and keeps them within the race uh, somewhat against, uh, against Bayern Munich. What were your thoughts on, on the way that match finished? Um, yeah, I think it was uh, gives a little bit of breathing air for for Richard Dortmund. I'm, I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm convinced, I will still be convinced that Erling Haaland is, like every time he's either <laughs> out or injured, that he is somewhere locked in a in a like an ice chamber, just like chilling. And then when Dortmund's home, all right, you can come in, you can come out. He just goes and and, and scores. More, uh, he's 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 been that good. Ma- more like incredible. more like mad scientist laboratory. <laughs> well, the, the, the reference I made the reference I made was Dragon Ball Z because yeah. um, the, the main character is is always in like this water chamber, just mm-hmm. like resting and like recovering. And I, and I always picture that that's probably really not <laughs> in his house in Dortmund or something. But yeah, I think it's um, I think it it, it proves that. And again, even with the tie that um, sorry, the draw that Byron had with um, sorry, no, wow, they won. Never mind. Yes. What am I saying? Bayern Sorry. won last minute. It was uh, again right. Leon Goretzka, yeah. Goretzka. Goretzka, which which is amazing because though you know that last goal was really it started actually from Manuel Neuer. Um, yep, that goal the, he plays that long ball to Alfonso Davies. Davies plays the ball across, and I don't know, I, I don't remember who dummied the ball, but somebody right at the top of the box dummied the ball, allowed it to go to the far side where Benjamin Pavard ran onto it, crosses it in the middle, and Goretzka just fl- flicks it home. Yep. amazing team goal for me um you know it, it was something to see and it was just quality step by step by step by step and and Bayern you know were amazing you know I think we've talked about this before just just on the Bayern topic real quick Benjamin Pavard on one wing Alfonso Davies on the other um I, I don't want to go out and say that they are the best wing back combination in the world because I mean everyone's going to talk about Alexander Arnold and um and Robertson over at Liverpool but Man, they're close, aren't they? They're definitely up there. That's what we've seen this season. Um, and mind you, you know they're not. They don't play like natural um, fullbacks mm. or wingbacks as well. I mean, you know, they like to really go up. And so, for them to have that sort of efficiency up top proves that they could be deadly. And I think proves how good this Bayern side is um, tactically as well. So, yeah, I, I think. Uh, you know, three games left, six points. I think is the gap or something like that. Uh, seven, seven. Yeah. yeah, even even more. Yeah, I think this league's over. Yeah, the, yeah. Bayern, Bayern. It's only a matter of time until something comes about, like a draw, and then that just gives Bayern their title. Bayern need three points. Um, and and, and again on the weekend, I'm just going to look real quick. Or coming up this week, uh, I've got it up in front of me. They play Werder Bremen uh, on the road, and, and Bremen is currently sitting in one of the relegation spots on 28 points. So you would think Bayern going to wrap that this up midweek. Um, mm-hmm. Last question for you then, because obviously Bayern going to wrap this up midweek. The prospects of the Champions League returning aren't going to happen until sometime in early August, is what what the talk is right now. Um, and they've been one of the best teams in Champions League, Bayern Munich, and they, and they've been one of the best teams with with the return of the Bundesliga. They've been one of the one of the most polished teams. Does having another massive one month layoff hurt them? No, no, you don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think they'll allow them to rest. 
Yeah. But I think you I think you have to factor how well the other teams will do, the English teams, mm. the um, the Spanish teams, the Italian teams. We have to see how they fare out as well. Sure. Because yes, the quality in, in, is different within each league. But at the same time, I guess they were the first ones to start. Yeah. So they're more familiar. They're more familiar with themselves. So we'll see. We'll yeah. definitely see. I mean, the, the, it's, it's actually good that you mentioned that, Joe, because I think the decision will be made on how the remainder of the tournament will resume. I think it will be on Wednesday from the from the executive committee at UEFA coming up this week. So we'll, we'll get a we'll get a, a taste as to what the Champions League is going to look like uh, coming up soon. So. Let's uh, let's give you some matches of the week, Rob, coming up uh, this week. And again, we've we're we're going to narrow it down now to leagues. I mean, previously we were giving you a couple from Germany or, or so on and so forth, but now we have leagues to talk about. First one I'm going to give you is the Premier League, which returns on Wednesday with Manchester City Arsenal Wednesday at 3:15 p.m. The Serie A comes back this week as well. We're going to feature Atalanta Sassuolo, which is going to be Sunday at 1:30 p.m. La Liga, again, uh, returns with Real Madrid-Valencia Thursday at 4 p.m. It's going to be a late kickoff in Spain, given the heat. And the Bundesliga, we've got a great one on Saturday. Leipzig-Borussia uh, Dortmund, Saturday at 9.30 a.m. So definitely keep an eye out for those matches. You've got Copa Italia final coming up this week as well, uh, which, which is something to keep an eye out for. But the leagues at this point will be all but returned. The only other one we talk about that won't be back is MLS, but that'll be July 8th. We'll get to see them as well. So, Rob, let me give you the uh, the the trivia uh, questions again of to who am I uh, and uh, and see if we can't figure out who it is. So this mm-hmm. player uh, played for six teams in Italy and England. He also managed two of the teams he played for. Now, my, my, my clue, I realize, is a little misleading because one of the teams he managed and played for, he was an assistant manager. He wasn't a, okay. a full manager. Second clue I gave you, the only league title that, that this player won as a player was with Napoli in 89-90, but he never managed them. The last clue, or do you want to give me a guess? Oh, yeah, give me the last clue, just okay. to make sure. Last clue coming up. This Chelsea player of the year in 98-99 and 2002-2003, and then he was later the assistant manager of Chelsea. The other team that he managed and played for in Italy was Cagliari. This forward, um, this Italian forward, again, played for Chelsea and was assistant manager at Chelsea. And he played for and was the manager at Cagliari. Who am I? Gianfranco Zola. Gianfranco Zola is the one. I, again, I wanted to find a player that played both in England and in Italy. Um, and, and Zola is... The, 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 Nap- the Napoli title gave it away because I knew he was a teammate of Maradona. And yeah. then I was thinking England, Italy, where's the connection? And I, when, when you said Chelsea, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's him. Yeah, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and that was the key is I wanted to find... Uh, with the return of two leagues this week, I, I wanted to find somebody that would be associated with both leagues. And the first name that came to mind was Gianfranco Zola. So, um, Rob, without anything left on the docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode 286 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Luis Miguel Echegaray for joining us next week. We will look back on the week that was with a full week of football. We'll have a great guest to talk about and keep an eye out this week for our specialty previews of the EPL and the Serie A as they return to action. So, for episode 286 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. Good night.